1: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: I don't think we really started eating out until it was possible economically. We didn't have enough money to be able to go out and eat. We had a ration book at home and my mum used to send me out and give me two coupons to get half a dozen eggs and a pat of butter.
3: Food was very simple um, when I was a child and when we were first together. You didn't have the varieties at all that you have now. The meal that I really remember most from my mum's cooking was liver and onions and mashed potato and gravy and cauliflower.
2: When we're having dinner together, we've got time together and we talk together. I mean, that is sharing, and it's spending time together, and I think sharing time together is what marriage is all all about.
4: I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship food and fertility and even food and grief. This week we have a very special bonus episode to finish off season one and the topic we're covering is food and marriage. For the first time on the podcast I have not one but two guests today because of course a marriage is all about partnership and it couldn't exist without two people. Today's guests are not famous, they don't have a book out and they've never been on a podcast before. In fact I think mine was the first they ever listened to. And that's because the guests for this episode are my parents, Chris and Tony Price, who this month are celebrating an incredible 50 years of marriage. Now, why would I ask my own parents on the podcast, you ask? Well, because I don't know many other people who can say they've been happily married for 50 years, so I thought they could offer us all a little bit of advice on the subject. But also because this is the Life in Food podcast and my love of food comes very much from my parents. Food has always been a central part of my family, and when I was growing up, my dad always used to say to me, Your eyes are bigger than your belly. But I've always had a really healthy attitude towards food, and I think that's down to my parents encouraging me to try whatever I like, to never feel guilty about eating food, or to worry about my weight or body image. But we've never really talked as a family about where that love of food comes from, or where that healthy attitude comes from. So I thought, what better way to get to know my parents than broadcasting a conversation to an international audience? So, as they celebrate their golden wedding anniversary, I would like to speak to my parents, Chris and Tony Price, about food and marriage. So, Mum and Dad, welcome to Life in Food.
3: Thank you for having us.
4: So, first of all, you got married in 1972 when Mum was, I think, 19 and Dad was 25. How did you meet? Because I've always had this thing that Mum was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar and I know that's not entirely accurate, is it?
3: Not quite, no. I was a receptionist in the hotel at the time um, and Dad used to come in to the hotel for a, a drink in the bar.
4: We
2: then met up again in another pub. We did. By chance.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where mm-hmm. we where was this? That was in Huntingdon. Okay, near Cambridgeshire. Near, in Cambridgeshire, yeah. I can yeah. still
2: remember the pub. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the pub, but I could take you to it.
4: But it was a drinking pub, not an eating pub. Oh, yeah. well,
3: they were all drinking pubs mm-hmm. then all of them. In those days I don't mm. think
2: there was any such thing as an eating pub. They were all drinking pubs.
4: Well that was what I was going to ask you. So obviously nowadays I know you love going out together for nice meals but when you met there wasn't much of a dining out culture was there? That's absolutely
3: true. We didn't eat out at all when we first met. It was all going to pubs and having a drink. I don't think we started eating out really until we moved to Bristol Yes. And then it was only occasional.
2: People generally didn't eat out in those days or people of a working class background such as us simply didn't have enough money to be able to go out to eat. So it was a very uncommon thing uh, for people to go out to eat although there were restaurants there weren't anywhere near as many restaurants as there are today.
4: So what did you do to meet up and what did you eat when you ate together? We
3: largely didn't eat together I used to eat in the hotel where I worked and Tony used to eat at home with his mum and dad and we just used to go out for drinks and I think when we got introduced to parents then we did start eating at their houses.
2: I used to eat at home with my mum and dad.
4: Do you remember the first meal you ate together? Well, it would probably be in a Bernie Inn, would it?
2: Um, I really can't remember the first meal we ate together, (laughs) but uh, yes, probably in a Bernie Inn. that became a favourite.
4: What's, what's the Burnie Inn? I don't think I've the heard of Ber- that. The
3: Burnie Inn was a steakhouse and they were quite popular in those days and it's actually where we had our wedding day meal. Our wedding was very small with just seven people including us and we went to a Burnie Inn beforehand for a meal and it was nearly always the same food, prawn cocktail, steak, apple pie or black forest gâteau and a schooner of sherry. Yeah. And that's what we had on our wedding day. And whenever we went to a Burnie Inn, which was usually only for treats, it would be that sort of meal. Yes. They
2: had a very limited menu, three starters, one of which was pate, another was um, prawn cocktail. And then they had three steaks and three puddings, one of which was apple pie and and I think ice cream or cream, which Christine always used to have. We used to feel very sophisticated because you had this schooner, which was a strange-shaped glass of sherry beforehand.
4: Well, since you've mentioned the from the sea, so Dad was in the Merchant Navy. Can you tell us a bit about that?
2: When I did my sea training at um, the National Sea Training School, I joined a ship called the Orsova, and um, I was a bellboy, which meant I was a lift driver. A, I I drove up and down the decks in a lift for people to get in and out. But after that, I worked in the restaurant. And I initially started as a soup boy, which basically meant that I drove this, pushed this soup trolley around and ladled out soup to people. And I suppose my interest in food probably did start at that point. I used to be asked to add things like the cream to the tomato soup and things like that. That was a very interesting job, and I progressed from there to being a table waiter. And in those days, ships had three classes of passenger, one first class, second class, and tourist class. And I actually worked in the first class dining room, which was a kind of an a la carte restaurant, where you had three knives and three forks, etc., etc. So yes, my early interest in food probably started when I was in the Merchant Navy, Mm. because I was able to eat effectively what was available or or what was left over. And, um, yeah, I got an early uh, interest in food through that particular occupation.
4: And do, do you remember some of the foods that you used to eat together in Bristol? Yes, on a
3: Sunday morning we used to get up late and Tony used to go to the paper shop and buy the Sunday papers. While he was out doing that... I would cook a Sunday breakfast and the flat that we had at the time was very cold and it just had a little galley kitchen. So I used to cook the Sunday breakfast, eggs, bacon, sausages, tomatoes, mushrooms, that sort of thing. And when he came in with the papers, we'd go back to bed with our Sunday breakfast and eat it in bed. When he purchased the papers, he also used to buy lots of bars of chocolate, including the Fry's five cream bars. So I then used to get up and make us both a mug of tea and we'd go back to bed again with our chocolate bars. And that was our (laughs) Sunday breakfast, brunch, lunch combined. And then we'd get up and maybe go for a walk and
4: spend the rest of Sunday.
2: Yeah, that's very interesting, actually, because that was a brunch before the word brunch had even been invented. Mm.
4: Yes, yeah, so, well, I remember very clearly the fries cream bars, chocolate cream bars with the mint, peppermint filling, peppermint cream filling very mm, much from mm. growing up. Occasionally, if I walk into a paper shop, I still buy one of those.
3: But whether you had the five cream bars... Well, I don't remember. No, what were the five cream? They, they were exactly the same shape as a fries cream bar as it is now, but they had five different flavours. so strawberry, lime, lemon Yeah, I vaguely remember that but they were really, really nice Oh
4: yeah, I love those Do they still exist? Don't think they do, very
3: rarely I think
4: (laughs) Mm, Shame Um, And so Dad, you talked a little bit about the Merchant navy and your experience there When did you both start getting into restaurants and what was the appeal of going out to eat out?
2: Well, that's sort of um, evolved over time really I don't think we really started eating out until... It was possible economically we didn't have enough money to be able to go out and eat until, really, the children had left home. At that point, we had enough spare cash to be able to go to restaurants.
3: I do remember about 25 years ago, we met our very good friends at a party locally and our kids had just left home, theirs had just left home, and we started going out on a Tuesday night together. They became our Tuesday night friends And every Tuesday night we would go out with them, usually to have a pizza, glass of wine, coffee. Um, And our very good friend, Marjorie, who sadly is no longer with us, always used to have a calzone, which was a massive pizza with loads of tomato sauce. And she was a very slim lady, but used to wade her way through this calzone at top speed Mm -hmm. and always really enjoyed her food. Um, So there were the Tuesday night meals out
2: we used to go to our other restaurants for not only for special occasions like birthdays and so on, but we would go out on a Saturday night or on a Friday night for a dinner together, and we we sort of swapped it around. We we used to have local restaurants that we liked, and we'd occasionally try a, a different type of restaurant, or someone would recommend a restaurant, and consequently we became. Users of restaurants we started eating out now we very rarely go a week without eating out at least once sometimes twice and
4: and is there a meal that stands out to you as one of the best that you've eaten together or a favorite restaurant?
2: well very strangely um i we had a we went out to dinner this week last week on on Wednesday evening with some friends and uh we went to a restaurant in Yorkshire called the Alice Hawthorne. In a village called Nunmonkton, we had what I thought was a very, very special dinner. It was really beautifully cooked, very simple dinner, but 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 wonderful. Don't know what you think.
3: I, I agree. I like the Alice Hawthorne very much. Um, I also like over time the Three Acres, the Farmer's Boy, and the Dunkirk. Very local to us restaurants. Mm-hmm. Well, we've always had very good food and I remember taking my dad to the Three Acres when we'd just moved here and it's changed a bit over time mm. but was always a good pub restaurant yeah. and still is. Yeah, so
2: that's, that's very interesting I and mean, we, we have been in the last 20-odd years since we've been able to afford it to some very nice restaurants. It's interesting what Christine just said about her dad who's now in his 90s, late 90s. He used to be able to, and consequently we used to be able to go together with with him and his wife to very nice restaurants where you would have a three- or four-course dinner, including maybe a fillet steak or something like that. But over time, it became very apparent that what you eat and how much you can eat does change. And um, Alan, that's Christine's father, cannot now eat a proper dinner. He can only eat really one course And it would be a smallish portion. And it would probably fish. So if we took him to a very fine dining restaurant or even um, a restaurant with a tasting menu, it would be an absolute waste of time and money. So, So we don't go to those kind of places. In fact, when we go out with Christine's father, we find a restaurant that serves particularly light food. And in fact, he loves Thai, which is quite light and take him to that kind of restaurant
4: dad you're mentioning a little bit about mum's father alan who's my granddad who is about to turn 98 so um mum going back a bit your parents divorced when you were quite young and you actually went to live with your father while your sister went to live with your mother which was very unusual even then but your your dad my granddad um was a cook so can you tell me a little bit about what food was like in your home growing up with your dad Well, just going back to before my parents split up, they split up when I was six.
3: I do remember my mum's cooking. She was a very good home cook. And I think she learnt to cook from her mum, my nanny, who was also a good home cook. And the meal that I really remember most from my mum's cooking was liver and onions and mashed potato and gravy Mm -hmm. and cauliflower. Um, And my love of cauliflower carried on throughout my life. When my... Mum and sister moved out. My dad was a chef and used to work split duty, so he would be home in the afternoon and then he'd go back to work in the evening in the hotel that he worked in. And he later remarried. My stepmother, I don't think she would mind me saying this, hates cooking, never really liked cooking and still says the same today, she hates cooking. So my dad continued to do the cooking. And it would generally be fairly simple things because we ate very simply in those days. Usually a, a cooked meal at lunchtime, which was our dinner, we called it. And then tea was usually cold meat, salad, bread and butter, tinned fruit and evaporated milk, that sort of thing. And mm. um, my dad continued to do the cooking really right up until, I'd say, a couple of years ago. Mm. So it's always like cooking. I do remember one holiday in Italy in 2006 when um, my nephew got married and we were all sharing a house in Italy and the owner of the house used to leave fruit Vegetables outside the front door, and my dad would cook things out of seemingly nothing. So, all of the courgettes, aubergines, strawberries, tomatoes, various things would be cooked into something very quickly, tastily by him, and enjoyed.
4: Mm, It's amazing because that holiday in 2006 doesn't feel that long ago to me, and of course it was. But I remember Mm -hmm. us sitting outside and having boiled eggs, and my granddad showing me how to. Um, peel boiled eggs with uh, what I think I'd never done before was where you sort of tap them on the tabletop and then roll them a little bit under your hand, and that's how you peel them because it makes them all crack nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm amazed that you remember your mother's cooking from before you were six. I, I hadn't realised that you had those memories. Well, um, some of them could come
3: from when I used to visit her after that because I used to see her on the weekends, and possibly those memories are from then. I have some very good memories from my my sister who you'll remember you um, did a lovely book for me on my 60th birthday 10 years ago and people wrote lovely stories in there and submitted photographs, beautiful little notes but my sister Heather contributed 9 pages (laughs) of photos and stories and this is 10 years ago at the time she was well and we didn't know that she was going to get unwell she died two years ago and those stories are so valuable to me now because they contain lots of stories about food she goes back to our childhood when she mentioned the family love of food and my love of cauliflower which has continued to this <laughs> day might have been overtaken by broccoli it's
2: definitely been <laughs> overtaken by broccoli in uh-huh. fact if if I look like a piece of broccoli, it wouldn't surprise me.
3: <laughs> but that's because broccoli didn't exist then, not in our house anyway, did
2: it? No, it, it didn't.
3: No. But I do have some wonderful stories from Heather uh, of all the uh, times that we used to meet up and have cups of tea and cake and time together. And those stories that she's written for me uh, are just so valuable now.
4: Yeah.
2: My memories of food go back even further than that. I remember when I was in the the 1940s, probably, 1949, being asked to go to the shop, which was about 100 yards from where we lived, with the ration book. Um, We had a ration book at home, because things like eggs, butter, um, cold meat and things were on ration, and certainly beef and and, uh, pork and lamb were all on ration. And my mum used to send me out and give me two coupons to get half a dozen eggs, and a pat of butter and bring it home. And then I remember in the early 50s, we lived in Blackpool and I was about nine and I think the Russian coupons had finished at about 1953 and we had money and mum sent me out with a half a crown, which was two and sixpence, which was twelve and a half pence today, to get a quarter pound of ham for our tea. And I remember walking to this shop in Blackpool, and again I can remember walking along the road and asking for this quarter of ham for two and six, or for with this two and sixpence, and getting it. And when I got home, my mum opened it up and said, I didn't ask you to get ham, I asked you to get spam, which was much, much cheaper than ham, and so I didn't have any change. My mum was really, really angry and shouted at me, and I can remember it very well, and she sent me back with the ham to the shop, and I tried to explain to this lady in the shop that I had made a mistake and that she'd asked for spam, and she wouldn't change it. (laughs) And um, then her husband came out the back. It was a little shop, a a tiny little greengrocer's shop, and he said, he's only a kid, he'll get a Larrapin, change it over to the spam. So I remember him changing it and me going back with this bag, (laughs) <laughs> spam rather than ham. And um it all on us having it for tea. And I also remember my dad saying, You've got to eat your bread and butter before you can have your spam. And that was a traditional thing that used to happen with every meal, because we were relatively poor, no poorer than other people at the time. Everybody was in this same situation. You had to fill up on something. Mm. And at the main meal it was potatoes, and at secondary meals like tea and breakfast it was bread so we might have a tea which consisted of bread and butter ham spam lettuce tomato and cucumber and then we would have blancmange and or jelly but you were never allowed to have your blancmange and jelly unless you'd already had your bread and butter so that's what i remember from when i was a child eat your bread and butter first or you will not get your blancmange ice cream or jelly And, of course, the ice cream or jelly was the only reason I'd come in from playing.
4: And, Dad, I know your father was in the Royal Air Force and you moved around when you were young, living in Singapore and Germany. Um, Did that mean your mum was the main cook in your home and what sorts of things did she cook?
2: Well, that is correct. We lived all over the world and my mother certainly was the main cook. My father never cooked. I can't remember him ever cooking, but I do remember him making cups of tea. My mother was a very ordinary cook. cook. In those days, we ate what was very English food. Even though we lived in places like Singapore and Germany, we didn't eat their fare. We ate our own English stuff, which was most invariably meat, potatoes, and two or three veg. And then we would have a pudding, uh, treacle tart or jam roly-poly, or apple pie, some such pudding. So mother was a very plain cook, um, egg and bacon for breakfast or cereal, a lunchtime meal which we called dinner, which would be meat and potatoes and two veg, and tea would most invariably be salad or bread and butter. Very straightforward. She never progressed to cooking anything like a pizza or curry. She did know of those things later in her life, but considered them to be uh, foreign foods, which she really showed no interest in occasionally we went out to dinner as a family although it was so rare that I can hardly ever remember it maybe on holiday we did I remember touring in Europe uh, eating in European restaurants but even then we would we would choose things like ham egg and chips which you could get rather than actual foreign food so yes she was a very good cook very plain cook Um, we never went hungry but there was never anything particularly exciting on the plate or or anything on the plate that you didn't know what it was.
4: I always remember having Victoria Cream sponges when we went to Grandma's house, but I don't remember whether she made those or whether they were bought.
2: She didn't make them, although she could bake, and she did bake, particularly around Christmas time. She always made a Christmas cake. She made mince pies, Christmas pudding. And throughout her life with my father, she made millions of apple pies in fact my father ended up as a diabetic because every single day of his life he ate at least two slices of apple pie and it was always sugared on top and it was a very sweet pie Um, so she did bake definitely a staple of our pudding used to be two things a purchased um, victoria sponge with cream and jam and also another thing that she absolutely adored which was arctic roll Mm. uh, that which was a kind of a frozen sponge with ice cream and jam in the middle and those were very frequently treats Mm. at dinner time
4: i remember that those victoria cream sponges i always think in my head that i really like victoria cream sponge but i don't think i've ever had one that's matched up to the ones that we used to have at grandma's house um, because it was so much lighter than the ones you can buy anywhere now or that i can make anyway there were Uh,
3: frozen ones
4: there Were rosin ones, yes,
2: yes yeah. and defrosted, yeah. well, and in reality, I think that's probably a fine memory. Um, yeah. We mum sometimes makes a Victoria sponge nowadays, and it's just as light and just as nice um, as it was in those days. But it was a treat, and whenever you got a treat, because it was a treat, it was particular, it was special.
4: Yeah, sorry, Mum, Yours are delicious as well. I think it's just it's just <laughs> the nostalgia, probably, of eating it at grandma and granddad's house and just going there and having this really small Victorian. Definitely, sponge. I used to love Tony's mum's cooking. Um, so uh, and so, when you were living in Singapore, did you not even get the chance to try Singaporean food at all? Then no. That's really interesting, isn't it? When
2: it, when you were in the forces in those days, um, for example, we we've d- lived in Germany. You didn't actually interface with any Germans. Mm. The camp had a barbed wire fence all around it and you never went outside that fence. And it was the same in Singapore. You lived on a base which was, which was a little England abroad mm. and you couldn't go outside that base. Um, you could, but only with your father or your mother. And, um, and again, economically, we just didn't have the money. It, it wasn't normal to go out and eat out. Uh, in fact, many people didn't have enough money to eat in, let mm. alone out.
4: That's really interesting because you are, Dad, you're you're quite adventurous with food now. So where did that adventurousness come later on in your life?
2: We, we've, we I mean, I have travelled really very extensively, much more than most people through, through my career. And sometimes I like to say that I've been to every country on earth, which isn't true, but I've certainly been to all the major ones. And as a consequence of that, I have been exposed um, on on business trips, for example, you would very often to say, say to whoever you were with, well, can you choose for me, please? And very often I would say, could I have the, the local dish? Whatever it is, I'd like to try it, please. And as a consequence of that, I got exposed to all kinds of cuisine, which... Um, maybe some people haven't
5: had the opportunity to experience. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, better get 30, better get 20, 20, 20, better get 20, 20, better get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new
5: customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows.
1: Full terms at mintmobile.com.
5: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
2: Experience.
4: And you both have quite different attitudes to food so dad you're very adventurous and you'll eat almost anything whereas mum I think you're more of a picky eater and you prefer your fish and vegetables although you've been more adventurous in recent years I think. How have you and dad you talked about looking like a broccoli because you eat so much broccoli at home so how have you managed those differences over the years and has it affected your relationship at all?
3: I don't think so things have t- changed over time. Food was very simple um, when I was a child and when we were first together, you didn't have the varieties at all that you have now. And we ate whatever was in season. I, I remember going shopping with my mum as a little girl and she would have her wicker basket and we'd go to the different shops and you'd get your food in a brown paper bag and you bring it home. And when we were first together, we had simple meals like a lot of casseroles, lamb chops, pork chops, gammon and egg, that sort of thing. Um, pies, something called steaklets, which was a bit like burgers. And I think the healthy eating probably came in a little bit later. I don't think when we were younger, you just ate simple food that yeah. was what there was, what everybody ate. Yeah, when when,
2: when we were younger, we ha- we were so busy, for one thing, with, with bringing up children, and we both had jobs most of the time and we worked very, very hard. And we shared the responsibility for feeding particularly when you were a teenager. We would both work very long hours. Christine would go off to work at six thirty AM in the morning and come home at about seven and I would go off at about eight and come home quarter to quarter to eight in the evening. And whoever got home first would be responsible for putting on the dinner. So um so we very much shared things and I learnt the basic rudiments of cooking at that at that point, although the meal used to consist of something that we would put in the oven, maybe baked fish, and then we would do vegetables in, in a steamer. Pretty simple stuff, but it was edible and and it kept us going.
3: We had a pressure cooker that we used to make the, the stews and the casseroles in, and that was quite common for us to use. But I do remember when we moved here to, uh, to Shepley, 40 years ago. In Yorkshire. In, in, Yor- in Yorkshire. We used to have people around on a Sunday uh, as a family, friends with, with kids, and we'd often have a roast dinner. And we used to have a lot of dinner parties where we'd have three-course meals. My recipe file probably consists more of cakes and puddings and crumbles than it does of savoury things, but we did used to have quite a large variety mm-hmm. of things at these dinner parties mm-hmm. and then we progressed to barbecues.
2: It was quite a busy home in as much as we would often have friends around and also there was a period in my earlier business career when we would have a lot of dinners which were effectively to promote the business and so we would have customers that would come to dinner. And Christine would always work very hard to produce a very nice three-course dinner which we would very often have things that were more expensive than we would eat normally. For example, we might have a fillet steak or a Dover sole or something like that, which we we wouldn't ordinarily eat. But our experience of travelling, we used to go on holiday when you were very young to places like Menorca and Ibiza and Tenerife and so on. And we would bring back things that we'd had to eat there. For example, you would do paella, from time to time and then we would have um I, I don't remember you remember buying us a very large dinner plate mm. and we would we would put hors d'oeuvres on that now hors d'oeuvres were something that we had really never heard of until we traveled abroad but we brought it home and we used to serve that as a first course for dinner guests and they would have some prawns and some prosciutto and some whatever whatever avocado for example avocado I'd never heard of an avocado or seen an avocado till about 20 years ago. Mm. But now we eat our avocados at least once a week, if not more.
4: Which you probably shouldn't really, because they have to come all the way over from Peru, and I've tried to cut back on my avocado. But they taste very nice. They do, yeah.
2: And they're healthy.
4: They are. Uh, Mum, you're a brilliant cook and you've kind of been known for your puddings. So I always remember you making pecan pies and cakes and pavlova. But about 10 years ago, you were diagnosed with celiac disease, which made you quite poorly for, for a while before you knew um, what it was. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's obviously a very serious allergy to gluten. How did that affect your relationship with food, both cooking and eating, and also with making desserts that are often flour-based?
3: Well, when I was first diagnosed with celiac disease, which was quite a surprise to me, although i have been unwell for a long time, I didn't know what it was. But as soon as I was diagnosed, we went straight to the supermarket and scoured the aisles for gluten-free food. There's all these free-from sections now. So bought in certain things. Then I realised that I could still continue to cook more or less as normal just by substituting gluten-free flour and I could make cakes in the same way as I could before and I could make sauces in the same way as before. We manage perfectly fine at home. I don't think things are particularly different. It is more difficult eating out Mm -hmm. because there's lots of things, not just um, flour, but lots of other ingredients as well which you need to be careful of. So that can be a bit harder. But I don't think it's particularly changed things at home, apart from the fact that Tony has to eat this gluten-free food now, yeah. which uh, might be slightly different.
2: It's but very interesting, the going out, because an awful lot of catering staff simply do not understand what a celiac is or what celiac disease is. It, it isn't an allergy. It's an autoimmune disease. Yeah. And and it's a very, very serious uh, thing for celiacs if they get flour or wheat when you say you're a celiac an awful lot of catering staff think oh well that's just somebody who's a bit funny about food doesn't really matter um we'll just say yes to everything and it's very very easy to to be poisoned as a consequence of staff in restaurants who are who are not properly trained so we very frequently have to actually ask the chef to come out and tell us what is in the salad dressing mm. or what is in the white sauce because the staff will say, yes, yeah, not a problem because they don't really know. Yeah. Um, and they
4: often offer you the vegan option instead, which is just. Yeah, the vegan option. They do, yeah, they Got do. nothing to yeah. do with
3: yeah. or, or, or they think a gluten free pizza will be one where the base is gluten free, but they don't think about what's on, in the toppings because mm. they don't understand. Yes, they'll say it's vegan, and of course, vegan is yeah. nothing to do with
2: yeah. gluten free. To, to be honest, it's a bit like Russian roulette. Mm, yeah. Um, particularly in buffets, um, where you can have five salads with three different dressings, one of which is going to make mum very, very sick. And um, you don't want to be very sick as a consequence going out to dinner.
4: No. Changing this subject slightly, I've always had a very healthy relationship with food. I love food. I eat everything, but also everything in moderation. I've never dieted. I've never had an eating disorder, even though I find that many of my friends have had eating disorders at some point. And I've always thought that that healthy attitude to eating was because you always encouraged me to eat whatever I wanted to eat. And you never said to me, don't eat that because it will make you fat or at least not that I remember, Um, was that a conscious decision to make me and my brother feel comfortable with food and was it something that was reflected in the way your parents brought you up?
3: I think it was a conscious decision for me to some extent because my stepmother was always on a diet and my dad did the cooking but she would have some influence on what was cooked and in her eyes potatoes, bread were bad for you because they were fattening. And so because she was always on a diet and had this rather unhealthy attitude to food, perhaps, I think I picked up on that as a child and a teenager, and that affected what I ate. It never stopped me eating cake or sweets, but it did affect me, um, I think, with the potatoes and one or two things like that. So I then began to eat very simply. And I think we thought that just trying to have healthy food in the house was... An easy attitude to adopt with our kids
2: we we were quite disciplined as as parents. I wouldn't say we were disciplinarians in as much as that we're very hard on you and your brother, but we did have a framework of of uh, of discipline around work play and and eating and consequently we we didn't use to feed you before between meals. there wasn't lots of chocolate or if there was it was hidden in places that I couldn't find and so you didn't eat between meals and as a consequence we used to bring you to the table hungry Uh, not starving hungry but hungry so you'd be out playing you'd be on your bike you'd come in from school and we would we would feed you and we would feed you sensible sensible food we always had pudding because everybody likes cake but that was a treat Mm. um and so, and so, the lifestyle then, even when you were young, um, was different to the, to what it is now. You would come in hungry, um, and as a consequence, you would be very happy to eat whatever you were given.
4: Yeah, I, I definitely didn't mean that you weren't strict or that you weren't controlled in terms of what what we ate. It was more just that I wasn't made to feel bad for eating something, you know, that was a treat or whatever. But yeah, well,
3: I think I think we definitely enjoyed lots of family meals and lots of meals with other family and friends and that was always something that we made quite a big thing of so eating together uh, as a a big group a small group was always something very very enjoyable and so it was the company of the family and friends and it was the food and we were mixed in together we we
2: always tried to take a positive attitude not just to food but to everything else, we were not judgmental, we we were very happy for you to come home with a friend and if you didn't want to eat what we were offering, we would offer you something similar if we had it. And so it was just a, a way of going through life. We encouraged you and your brother to experiment, we incu- in, in encouraged you to go swimming, to do sport, because we knew that all these things were good, healthy, sensible things to do. We didn't let you watch too much television. You would have liked to have watched more, but we knew or it, it, well, we didn't think that it would be healthy for you to just watch television. And so we would send you out to play.
4: And what um, what role has food played in your marriage?
2: I'd say it's played a, a very important role because at its simplest, um, we go out to dinner together once a week now, minimum. Um, when I say dinner, I don't mean dinner, I mean tea. We don't have anything at home from lunchtime until the early evening and we go out together for a tea. It may be one course, could be a pizza or a salad shared between two. And the word shared between two is really what it's all about. We we go out to have dinner together. And one of the great things about um, having dinner together is you actually sit opposite one another. It's very difficult to sit opposite one another without actually speaking to one another. So we actually talk to one another when we're out to dinner, don't we? We're sometimes a bit peculiar. When we go on cruises, we very often ask for a table for two. That's because we want to have dinner together and not with a load of strangers that we've never met before and may or may not get on really well with.
4: You are very sociable as well, though. You do have, you do also go out for meals with other people quite a lot, don't you? We
3: certainly do, and we do on holidays now tend to mix. We we always share tables at breakfast and lunch and sometimes at dinner as well on holidays. So we do like to have meals out with other people. Yes, we are sociable.
2: But in terms of our marriage, it do, it is a, a, a point in time when you're not... You know, I'm not doing something and Christine's not doing something, so I'm not interrupting her and she's not interrupting me. When we're having dinner together, we've got time together and we talk together and, um, yeah, it's helped our marriage in that respect, I would say, definitely.
3: Yeah, I think so. We do different things in the day since we've retired and eating together is when you come together, you share your food, enjoy your food and you talk.
2: Yeah, and we've always shared... You know, if you go right back, the whole food element of life is a very, very important one. And, for example, we had a regime when you were young that on a Saturday, we both worked five days, Monday to Friday. But on Saturday, we'd do the shopping. Mm. And the shopping consisted of we would go to a superstore, most invariably one with a cafe, And we would have a lunch meal together. It might have been a toasted sandwich and a cup of coffee or a lemonade for you. But then we would do the shopping together. And so that was in preparation for the food. We would actually, you know, I would go off and get the cheese. And Christine would get off and get whatever part of the shopping basket that she was interested in. And um, then we'd get home and it would get cooked.
4: Yeah, I remember that really clearly, the supermarket trips. It goes back to when you were
3: very young, because we always used to take you and your brother swimming on a Saturday morning. So you'd go swimming and you'd be hungry afterwards, and we'd go to the supermarket at the time, usually one with a cafe. So we'd, we'd probably eat first all together, and then we'd all go and do the shopping together. And when you and your brother left home, we continued to meet after... Dad had been to golf on a Saturday and I'd probably been to work. And we'd meet for lunch and we'd do the shopping. And that only stopped two years ago when we had lockdown mm. because we couldn't go out to lunch anymore. And we've just picked up on going shopping again together, but not not the going out for lunch.
2: No, well, that's because we eat too much anyway. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that is sharing and it, it's spending time together. And I think, you know, going back to your question... It, Sharing time together is what marriage is all, around, all about and sharing time together, doing things that both of you enjoy, things that are mutually agreeable and certainly eating out is mutually agreeable to us both. I mean, even on holiday, the main as- aspect of our holiday that we enjoy is dinner. You know, from about five o'clock, our focus is then on dinner. It's on having a bath. Preparing, getting dressed, and when we get to dinner, we don't like it to be a rushed affair. We like to have a drink, um, and then we like to have a first course with a bit of a break and then a main course, and enjoy the whole event, mm. not just go in and scoff it down and run off to the theater, but to have an event together and enjoy it and and um,
4: yeah and what do you think is the secret to a long and happy marriage?
2: Well, that's an extraordinarily difficult question. Um, And it's a good question, but I'd like to ask Christine to answer it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I would say maybe it's respect for each other. It's sharing and listening to each other. So when you have problems, they mull around in your head and they get bigger. Whereas if you speak about it to each other, it's much less so. And it's also perhaps laughing. Yes. Uh, laughing about things. We do have a little bit
2: of fun. And um, we, 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 it, the word respect is very important. But obviously, we're both good judges. And I think we've made a very good decision in, in the very first place in choosing each other. And we've had difficult times. And we've had ma- very, very good times. And we've short- shared them. And it's. It's as simple as that, sharing things, having a bit of respect, having common, um, you know, we, we've we sort of got a, a, a very common value system, haven't we?
3: We have, and we haven't mentioned our cats.
2: Oh, yes, we got them, of course.
3: Because, um, I've only just remembered this, but going back to when I first met Tony, when I was 17 or so, uh, he knew then that I love cats, and... The second hotel that I was working in, which was then in Cambridge, was on the ground floor with a big window that opened out onto the car park. And Tony came along one evening with a cat in a bag that he'd rescued from a farm. We called him Muffin. And I had this cat in the bedroom in the hotel, which I was not allowed to do, um, but did. And as time went on, we always, always had a cat, which you will remember... To this day, we've got Tilly, who's 18, and we talk to her an awful lot. She's very much part of the family. It's nothing to do with food, really, but she uh, is very much... very much.
2: She has more meals per day than we do. She has more. We
3: we were always very strict with her that she only had two meals a day. And now, in her old age, she gets those two meals a day, but she also gets an extra one when we eat and then some supper before she goes to
4: bed. So what you're saying is basically the secret to a long and happy marriage is cats? It helps. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it wouldn't be fair to end them without mentioning my granddad's love of cats, which is where it comes from, of course, and, and yeah. what he feeds them. Do you want to just mention that? Yeah, my, my,
3: my dad, again, has always had cats. I remember many cats over the years and his great love for cats. Um He's always looked after them very well, but spoilt them a bit badly as well. And one of his favourite things to give them has been ham, good ham, rolled up in a specific way and put on the chair where they happen to be sitting so they don't even have to get up to eat it.
2: (laughs) His cats actually get fed better than his wife.
4: (laughs) This is true. I'd like to finish off by asking you the questions I ask everyone on this podcast. So your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? pleasure?
2: Probably pleasure. Nowadays certainly pleasure. Earlier on fuel.
3: Favourite meal of the day? Breakfast because I love to eat on a normal day breakfast um, on the day where we might be going out in the evening with family and friends then that dinner.
0: I
2: would say dinner.
3: Name one meal that always makes you feel happy.
2: Haddock and chips.
3: Avocado though I'm not meant to eat it with poached egg on toast.
4: Oh that's very unexpected from each of you. One food that has healed you?
2: bacon sandwich always makes me feel better.
4: <laughs> I think
3: I've been lucky enough not to need healing physically or mentally too badly, but mainly it's been, well, only it's been gluten-free food. I was very ill for a long time, not knowing what it was, and going on to a gluten-free diet definitely healed me.
4: Do you have a favourite gluten-free food?
3: My own cake or
4: crumble? <laughs> <laughs> Your own cakes and crumbles are very good. One dish that reminds you of family?
2: In my case, it would probably be apple pie.
4: Your mum's apple pie?
2: My mum's apple pie,
4: And
3: you didn't mention your mum's trifle, to be good? Well, it
2: used to be my father's trifle. My father really loved trifle. Um, I like trifle, but you don't like trifle, so I very rarely get it.
3: (laughs) You used to, as a as children didn't you I used to make trifle for you yeah Yeah. I used to love trifle
4: but that was one of the things I was going to ask you dad because you know you you have sort of alluded to being denied certain foods because mum doesn't eat them or mum doesn't like them has that been a thing Has that been a hardship for you at all
2: no I think that we have a lot of utensils in the kitchen so Christine will have a gluten-free piece of fish and I will have a piece of fish with some gluten wrapped around it um (laughs) I've come to like gluten-free cake to me it's hardly any different in fact it's just as good as normal cake and um you know i eat too much cake as a consequence of the fact that it's so nice um no i don't feel that um i've been denied anything i feel i may have been overfed with broccoli (laughs) (laughs) because we do have broccoli every day of the week
4: one recipe that everyone should know how to cook
2: Personally, I think, uh, you know, a a good pie is a very nice thing. Meat and potato pie or...
3: Or or even soup. Soup soup, soup is so so cheap and easy. I like butternut squash soup made with red peppers and carrots, but you can make soup very cheaply of any vegetables.
2: I mean, economically now, we don't have to worry about the cost of food, but we still revert to our roots in, in as much as... I will eat beans on toast. Thursday evening's dinner is very frequently fish fingers, gluten free in Christine's case, and non gluten free in mine, with beans and tin tomatoes. And it's and well, we will have two vegetables with it, broccoli, of course. Um, but it's a very, very normal, very cheap dinner. But we like it, and so we have it.
4: Yeah. So it's a good dinner that. Mm. Your best meal ever?
2: Incredibly difficult to say. There
4: have Um, been lots and lots
3: of very good meals, I'd say, ones shared with friends and family.
2: Yes, I'd second that.
4: Finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of marriage?
2: Personally, I think it's um, clearly you've got to make the right decision in the first place. Is that it? Well, that's one piece of advice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the... You, you've got to respect one another and listen to one another. And I think my view of the modern context—and remember, I'm getting on a bit—you've got to persevere with it. Um, there will be difficult points and difficult tasks. You've got to—you've got to persevere. Do
4: you want to add anything to that?
3: I don't think I'm qualified to give advice, but I just say what it was earlier: the the listening, having respect, and laughing.
2: Yeah, laughing is very, very important. We still laugh a lot at ourselves and at and together. Uh, all sorts of th- very sim- simple things give us pleasure.
4: Mum and Dad, thank you so much for joining me for this very special bonus episode of Life in Food with Laura Price. Thank
2: you for having
3: us,
4: Laura.
2: Yeah, thanks, Laura.
4: If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to Life in Food on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the final episode in season one, but I'll be back with more episodes later in the year, so be sure to follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes or on Twitter at Laura Price Write to find out when the next season is launching. I've already got some amazing guests lined up with themes such as food and family, food and disability, and food and rejection, so you're in for a treat. And if you'd like to hear more from me in the meantime, I would be delighted if you would buy my debut novel, Single Bald Female. It was inspired by my experience of being diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29. It's described as Dolly Alderton Meets the Fault in Our Stars and it's a funny and poignant book about love, dating, friendship and family, and of course food. There's a lovely storyline about the character Jess and how she uses baking as part of her own healing, but I won't give away any more spoilers. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform, as this really helps other people to discover it. Make sure you're also subscribed so you don't miss the next season coming later in the year. I will see you in a few months. And in the meantime, thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price.